Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 51. This was the testimony of John. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John whether he claimed to be the Messiah, he flatly denied it. I am not the Messiah, he said. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet? No. Then who are you? Tell us so we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. Then those who were sent by the Pharisees asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but here in the crowd is someone you do not know who will soon begin his ministry. I am not even worthy to be a slave. This incident took place at Bethany, a village east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, Soon a man is coming who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. I didn't know he was the one, but I've been baptizing with water in order to point him out to Israel. Then John said, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, when you see the Holy Spirit descending and resting upon someone, he is the one you're looking for. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the Son of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and then declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following, What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when he went with them to the place, and they stayed there the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, be my disciple. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. 
Philip went off to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from there? Just come and see for yourself, Philip said. As they approached, Jesus said, here comes an honest man, a true son of Israel. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael replied, teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe all this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, the truth is, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God coming up and down upon the Son of Man. What's going on in our world? Like seriously, a few of you a little bewildered, what is really going on? Tomorrow we're having a pandemic election here in Canada, and one that we didn't need, and one that pretty much nobody wanted, one that's going to cost us more money than any other election has by about 20%, $610 million dollars for that election. I'm so glad that former U.S. President Barack Obama has given us all direction on who we're supposed to vote for in a Canadian election. Like, I'm really happy that, that he decided to weigh in on that. I still don't know how I'm going to vote. I certainly won't advise you on how you should vote. All I know is this. Our politics have to be informed by our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah? I can assure you that Psalm 21, or Proverbs 21.1 still holds, that, that the, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord, and that applies to prime ministers too, regardless of who we elect. So make sure that you vote, but make even more sure that you pray, because we're all just a little bewildered by what's going on in our world. Yesterday, there were worldwide freedom marches, people who have been divisively labeled as anti-vaxxers just because they have unanswered questions. Others are blindly following their government leaders without question. Some of you are in the middle there. I, I know that medically speaking, I have the right of informed consent and I have the right of refusal, but I also know that the pandemic makes it a little more complicated than that. I would imagine that even right here in this room, there are those of you who are vaccinated and you're willing to take a booster shot every time they tell you that you have to for the rest of your life until you die. And I know that there are people in this room who would probably rather die than even take one jab. All I know is that our health care needs to be informed by our faith in Jesus. I can assure you that Psalm 139 is still true today, just as true for you 
as it was when David first wrote it thousands of years ago. David says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single one had even come to pass. Regardless of your decision about vaccination, make sure that you are informed and do your research, but make even more sure that you're praying. Because we're all a little bewildered by what's going on. And, and so we come to church with a little bit of this, this bewilderment that's happening in our lives. Each of us with our own story, each of us with our own questions, our own assumptions, our own prejudices, our own biases, our own opinions. And, and we recognize by gathering here together that, that this book is God's word. This, this book has more authority than you or I or our government. This book speaks authoritatively, not just back when it was first written to all the people it was first written to, but it speaks authoritatively to every generation, including ours. It knows. God knew when he wrote this book what we would be facing in a global pandemic. And this book speaks encouragingly to our current situation. So this morning, as Mabel read, we're considering the words of God spoken to us through the Apostle John, John 1, verse 19 and following. And I, I believe this morning that God wants to speak directly to you. If you are here in person, thank you for coming. If you're listening online, thank you for tuning in. I want to assure you God has something that he wants to say to you, something that you need to know or something you need to do. It, it might be counterintuitive. It might go against what your natural inclination is. It may even offend you. But when God speaks, I encourage you to listen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to stay in our bewilderment, but that when we bring our confusion to you, um, we open your word and you begin to show us who you are. And we have that peace that passes understanding. So we pray this morning as we look at this word that you would speak to us. You challenge us, rebuke us where it's necessary, encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the overarching question in John's gospel is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? John's writing late in the first century, and the church already has three books, three gospels about Jesus. They already have um, everything that they think they need to know. Matthew is uh, a gospel that's written primarily for Jewish people who have a Jewish faith and, and are figuring out who Jesus is. And, and so Matthew focuses on how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the prophesied king. Mark's emphasis, Mark is a great gospel, especially if you're a guy, because it's just like, bada bing, bada bam, straight away is what Mark uses. It's the most common word in Mark is straight away. <laughs> so that's awesome. But he, he focuses on the obedience 
of Jesus, that Jesus is, the, is a powerful preacher who does great miracles. And so his book is chock, chock full of, of, of those miracles. Mark is an action-packed gospel, and, and Jesus is the obedient son of God who just does what God tells him to do. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. Luke is a doctor, and so it's a very meticulous gospel. Jesus is the one who taught in parables. There's more parables in Luke than in any of your gospels. Jesus is the one who extends grace to all, not not just to the Jewish people, but, but to everyone. So these first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tend to stress the humanity of Jesus. That God became human and he lived among us. And John starts out with that acknowledgement. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But John wants to stress the opposite. He wants to stress that that human being, Jesus, that guy that you they, they killed, the guy that we were friends with, he's God. He's God. It wasn't, wasn't just a human. There's something more going on there. And so in our first sermon from John, Pastor Darren stressed, Christ is the word, the logos, who existed from the beginning, part of creation. And every chapter in John is going to give us new glimpses into who Jesus is. Jesus, the provider. Jesus, the healer. Jesus, the light. Jesus, the servant. Jesus, the vine. Jesus, the king. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the risen Lord. It's going to be a lot of fun. Last week, we built on that first idea that Jesus is the word of God. And and we we asked ourselves, why, why do people reject that? Why, why don't they believe? And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these first people who do believe and who are a little bewildered by what's going on in their world, for sure, but who decide to leave their nets and leave their tax tables and leave their families and leave their comfortable shady spots underneath the fig trees in order to follow Jesus. And so what I want you to see this morning, this passage, is the marks of a follower of Jesus. This isn't an exhaustive list of what a follower or a disciple of Jesus would look like. It's not exhaustive, but it comes straight out of the text. And so there's other traits that a good disciple of Jesus should be manifesting that are not mentioned here. But as I prayerfully examined this text, I saw five marks of a a follower of Jesus, five things that, that we should have. Right? Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. What's the next word? If. If. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. So we want to take a look at this just a little bit together. First of all, a follower of Jesus should be willing to be humble. Willingness to be humble is so important. I mean, Jesus himself says, that guy, John the Baptist, I mean, come on, people. That's one of the greatest human beings that ever lived. Jesus said that. I assure you, Jesus says, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Matthew 11, verse 11. Now, was Jesus just blowing smoke or did he really mean it? Take a moment to chew on that. None is greater than John the Baptist. In Jesus' eyes, John the Baptist ranks pretty high. 
could have been a general or some nation's king. If you know the song, I spent a whole bunch of time this week trying to look up that song, John the Baptist. If anyone knows who sings that song, it's been driving me crazy. But think about that for a moment. Moses, the greatest leader of Israel, leading Israel out of slavery, he's not greater than John the Baptist. King David, who ruled for 40 years and, and wrote so many of the psalms that we love to even sing today, he, he's not greater than John the Baptist. Abraham, the father of our faith, is not greater than John the Baptist. And yet, as highly as Jesus thinks John the Baptist is, here's what John the Baptist says about Jesus. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. Like, like John is one of the greatest humans who ever lived, and Jesus is so far above him that John's going, I, I, I'm not even worthy to be his slave or to untie the straps of his sandals. I think that's humility. Oh, people, the Lord has already told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, verse 8. Humility, Ephesians 4, 2, Philippians 2, 3, Proverbs 11, 2, Romans 12, verse 16, James 4, 10, 1 Peter 3, 3, and 4, Colossians 3, verse 12, Proverbs 22, verse 4, 1 Peter 5, and 6, the, the, the list goes on and on, James 3, 13, Proverbs 18, 12, Mark 9, 35, Galatians 5, 13, over and over and over again in our, in our Bibles, God says to us, we need to figure out humility. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to figure out what humility looks like in your life. Now, why does God require humility in us? I think part of it is because of Jesus, right? Philippians 2, verse 5 and 7 says, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Although he was God, he didn't demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. I, I, I can't wrap my brain around that idea. The second person of the, of the Godhead, the Trinity, who exists in glory and worshiped by angels, and he looked down at this broken, sin-filled world. And he stepped off of the throne that was rightfully his and made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He washed the feet of his disciples. He touched the lepers. He walked in the dust. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. And if you're going to follow him, then that's where you need to be too. That's where you need to be going. And that's the attitude that you need to have. We are to be humble because Jesus, our Savior, is humble. 
Second reason why we're supposed to be humble is because <laughs> of our propensity to sin. Like, n- none of us are without fault. Without Jesus, you are a lost sinner. With Jesus, with him, you know that you're forgiven, but you still remember and you still struggle. Sin is always crouching at the door and none of us are immune to that virus. Almost five centuries ago, St. Claude made this observation. He said, really humble people are never scandalized. They know their own weaknesses too well. They know that they themselves are so close to the edge of the precipice and they are so afraid of falling over themselves that they are not at all astonished that others might do so. It is no sign of virtue to notice the imperfections in others. We have no reason to despise anyone. A humble man sees only his own faults. What does it look like in your life to grow in that kind of humility? Tomorrow when you go to vote, remember that being a follower of Christ matters more to you than how you vote. Who is running the universe is a far bigger question. It matters more than who is running Canada. And don't forget to pray. And today and from now on, as you navigate this crazy waters of a global pandemic, back in masks again, I'll be back in the mask. Remember that being a follower of Christ, being a follower of Christ matters more than your health or your safety. Can I say that again? Being a follower of Jesus should matter more to me than my safety or my health. And don't forget to pray. Second mark of a follower of Jesus is a willingness to point to Jesus. The reality is that most of us love to have ourselves be vindicated. We want people to know that we're the good ones. We're, we're righteous, that we're without fault, that we're, we're a good person. We want people to notice us, to applaud us, to recognize and appreciate us. And when something bad happens to us, when somebody does something bad to us, we all just love to play the victim. That, that's how we point to ourselves through the assertion that I'm the victim. I didn't deserve the criticism. I didn't deserve what happened to me. John the Baptist, one of the greatest men who ever lived, points to Jesus. Look, there's the Son of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Don't look at me, John says. Don't worry about me. Don't even defend me. Just look at Jesus. He's far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. John 1, verse 30. You know, when I left a previous ministry, I had a friend come to me and float the idea that maybe I should plant a church in that same area. And if I did, my friend assured me, 95% of the church that I was leaving would follow me 
to whatever church I planted. But if I did that, wouldn't I be encouraging people to follow me rather than pointing people to Jesus? This is my second to last sermon here at Bridgeway. I'm no longer your lead pastor as of October 1st. And I've had a really blessed time here the last few years. I've come to know and love you all so much. Many of you have shared that love for Elaine and I. You have appreciated our ministry here. And you've come to know Jesus just a little bit better because of me. And I, I don't even know what to do with that. You'll miss me as much as I miss you. But at the end of the day, if I haven't magnified Jesus to you, if I haven't pointed you towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, if I haven't encouraged you to fix your eyes on him, then I have absolutely failed as a pastor because a true follower of Jesus always points others to Jesus, not to themselves. Third thing that I see here, mark of a follower of Jesus, is a willingness to lose supporters. This really hit me this week as I was studying this. John the Baptist points out Jesus, and then he watches as his disciples leave him in order to go follow Jesus. John's two disciples turn and follow Jesus. Verse 7. We, we generally just take it for granted, right? That was John the Baptist's role. He was supposed to point others to Jesus and, and he did that and he did it well and he ate the locusts and the wild honey in the wilderness until the wicked king arrested him and cut off his head. No biggie. That was his role. That's what he was supposed to do. Have a cookie, go to children's church. Think about this for a moment because we don't generally think of John the Baptist as a fallible human person, subject to temptations and troubles just as you and I are. Surely as more and more people came out to him in the wilderness, John must have been thinking to himself, man, I've got a really successful ministry here. Wow, look at all the people. They're all coming to, to hear me speak. And, and as the crowds grew bigger, so did the temptations. I mean, a lot of people have followed him. It must have stoked his ego, right? Trust me, one of the first questions that pastors ask each other when we're in pastors' conferences is, is how big is your church? I wish we wouldn't ask that question. Success can really change a person. People from Jerusalem and all over Judea we're going out into the wilderness to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Mark 1, verse 5. John had a comfortable, growing flock. Surely John could have just stayed out there in the wilderness, helping the people confess their sins and, and preaching about good moral humanism. Be a good person. Make good choices. Be nice to other people. That's the sum of the message that some churches today are still
teaching. It is a Christless morality. Pastor Jerry Hoffman says, we must not make ourselves the objects of people's faith, for we do not possess the ability to save them from the captivity of their sins. You're probably a pretty good person. Most of you are, right? You, you probably love the Lord deeply. You, you love the church, broken and fallen as she might be. But you do not hold the keys to salvation. Only Jesus does. And so as you follow Jesus, you humble yourself. You, you point others to Jesus. Others who may be tempted to, to follow you. You point them to Jesus and you rejoice when they follow him. Not, not you, they can go ahead and follow Jesus. You're like John the Baptist. You're no longer needed. You are willing to lose supporters as long as they're following Jesus. And you know what? If you make a disciple and that, get that person to the point that they're following Jesus completely independently on their own, then you can go make other disciples. The purpose of our faith is to make disciples of Jesus not disciples of ourselves. What else can we see in this passage about a Jesus follower where there's, there's a, this willingness to, to let go of things? Andrew's a follower of, of John the Baptist. Joyce mentioned that. And then, then he becomes a follower of Jesus. And at this point in time, you have to recognize Jesus hasn't really done a whole lot. Hasn't, hasn't done a whole lot of miracles, hasn't preached a lot of great sermons, cast out demons, healed the blind. He hasn't done very much of that at all. Maybe none of it. Nothing's recorded at this point. And yet Andrew follows him. That's intriguing to me. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Christ. John 1.40. You ever think about what it cost those first men and women to follow after this mad young prophet Jesus from Nazareth? You ever think about what they had to let go of in order to be a disciple? Some of them were fishermen, right? They had to give up that occupation. They had to walk away from their livelihood some of them were very well off, rich. They, they, they had to give up their lucrative careers. Some of them were revolutionaries. <laughs> I love Simon the Zealot. They had to give up their dreams of a free Israel. They had to give up their political aspirations in order to follow. They had to be willing to let go of everything that the world was offering them. In the latest SKMB periodical on Mission Together, I think it's uh, on the secretary's desk in the foyer, Dr. Jeremy Martini asks the question, what if Zebedee had said no 
It's a, it's a really great article, very thought-provoking. Zebedee, if you don't know, is the father of James and John, the two apostles. He's hardly mentioned at all in Scripture. Not, not John the Baptist, John the man who wrote this gospel, James and, and John. And, and Zebedee is a well-off man. He, he's rich. And in his culture, his word is absolute. James and John cannot leave their nets to follow Jesus unless Zebedee, their father, decides that it's okay to let go of his sons. We don't know a lot about Zebedee. Pretty sure we're going to meet him one day. But how impoverished would the church be if he had decided to not let go of his sons and how impoverished has your own spirit become because right now you're refusing to let go of something Luke 9.23 Jesus says this to everyone all of us if any of you wants to be my follower you have to give up your own way. You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Give up your own way. Let go. And finally, the fifth mark of a follower that I see in this passage is this a willingness to look deeper. I love Jesus. Just, I could just see him smiling. Come and see. <laughs> Can't you just see the glint in his eye as he's, he's saying, come and see. Verse 39, disciple of Jesus has this recognition that this world has some mystery to it. There's something beyond the obvious. There's a truth and a reality just beyond what we can grasp. There's more to this life. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, there is. Come and see. Come and see, Philip says in verse 46 to his friend Nathaniel. And there's something in Nathaniel's spirit that, that, that springs to life, even though he's skeptical about the source, Nazareth. There's a restless longing. There's a, a hungering for more. There's an emptiness in his spirit that prompts him to consider Jesus. Jesus invites him to go deeper, to look deeper. And some people in our world are, are looking for safety, they're, they're looking to their government, to, to their leaders, to, to somebody else to provide that safety for them. Life is precarious. It always has been. It always will be. The election tomorrow will not change that, no matter who we elect. And a world that puts its hope in a human leader will always be a world that's disappointed Jesus invites you, look deeper. Some people in our world are looking for safety and they're looking for, for health professionals, doctors, nurses, the CDC, the WHO, the scientists and researchers, someone, anyone outside of themselves who can provide some safety for them. There's a million ways to die in the West. And Western medicine, as great as it is, it will never provide the answer. A world that puts its hope in physical health will always be a world that's disappointed. Jesus invites you to look deeper.
who says this, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth, John 1.51. And each one of us comes to church and we each bring our own personal story. We bring our, our questions, our assumptions, our prejudices, our own biases, our own opinions, our own fears, all the reasons that we can muster as to why we hesitate. We serve Jesus half-heartedly. We give him most of us, not all of us. We explain away the verses that we don't like. We qualify our obedience and we justify our disobedience. A follower of Jesus is willing to be humble. Are you willing to be humble? A follower of Jesus is willing to point to Jesus, not himself. Are you willing to point other people to Jesus? A follower of Jesus is willing to lose supporters to Jesus. Do you want people to follow you or to follow Jesus? A follower of Jesus is willing to let go. Is there something that you're still hanging on to The Spirit is telling you that it's getting in the way of following. A follower of Jesus is willing to look deeper. Are you content with a shallow faith, the pseudo answers of this world? Or are you going to start earnestly and honestly seeking truth, seeking grace, seeking Jesus? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You'll all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down and the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between the heavens and the earth. Some of you haven't seen that, have you? You're not seeing God move in mysterious ways in your life. You're worried about the election. You're worried about covid You're concerned about so many other things. You've grown distracted. Is it possible that the reason you haven't been seeing the miraculous is because there's something in your following that needs attention? John 1.43, the invitation that Jesus extends to Philip is the one that he extends to you today. Come, be my disciple. Let's pray. There is nobody else like you, Jesus. You alone are the one who speaks and the stars fall into place. You alone are the one who who touches lepers and heals them, feeds the hungry, casts out demons, walks on the water, forgives the sinner, dies on a cross, 
and rises again on the third day, you alone are the God who's coming back for his people one day. We know all of this to be true about you. Your grace to us is amazing, incredible. So this morning we ask, as we consider these first men and women who follow Jesus, I pray you'd show us what that means for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team is going to come lead us in a closing song.